Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. Welcome to Living Water, and we are going through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians, and we made it to verse 16 last week. And verse 16 really says, holding fast the word of life. And we talked about how important right doctrine is. Today, we're going to continue our study through Philippians, uh, verses 17 through the end of chapter 2. So we start with this, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Verse 19, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. I kind of find that interesting that Paul says, none of the other disciples, none of the other people are really seeking after the interest of Christ, just me and Timothy right now. Isn't that amazing? You know, so often in these days, as churches become more compromised, as we talked about last week, we need to stand on the truth of the Word of God. We need to stand on what God has revealed in Scripture. Verse 22, but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him to immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. Remember, Paul was in prison at this point in Rome and awaiting potential execution. But verse 24, he had faith. He said, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So he's hoping to get out of prison <laughs> and go see him again. All right, so Philippians 2.25, go back to that if you would. But I thought it necessar necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker or minister and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus was sent by the church of Philippi to help Paul while he was in prison. Uh, more than likely, he was under house arrest in Rome. And the Praetorian Guard were the ones guarding him. Remember earlier, Paul said, I thank God that the whole Praetorian Guard has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they probably took turns uh, watching him. If you go back to the end of Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul wrote, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Isn't it interesting that when you pay your tithes and give offerings, God considers that an acceptable sacrifice? You know, it's one of the only things we can do as Christians that's sacrificial. You know, we don't get to take our finest cow down to the temple 
and have it slaughtered there for our sins. No, Jesus paid for all our sins on the cross. We partook of the Lord's Supper this morning, and we remember that great price. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, remember Christianity is completed Judaism. It's so funny when I hear pastors or read scholars that say, oh, Christianity is a fully different religion than Judaism. And they refuse to uh, observe any of the great feasts of the Lord that all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is Judaism. It's fulfilled Judaism. It's complete Judaism. So Paul always employs these words. Hey, your, your sacrifice is giving in your tithes and offerings to support me in ministry. What you're doing there is considered a sacrifice because Christ is our completed sacrifice. Back to Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Remember in the Old Testament, literally they would sacrifice a lamb and then pour out a libation, a drink offering uh, onto the altar. And they would do that in their sacrificial things. Paul is employing that language and that theological concept to things that we do. Again, remember that Christianity has completed Judaism. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you can take notes, or if you have your Bibles, you can turn quick. We're going to go through some verses. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, note this, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So not only are our giving of our tithes and offerings a sacrifice, but we offer our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. In fact, Paul says, I crucify myself daily. By the way, it's great to have Macy here from Texas. Yay, Macy. Uh, Sydney and Colgan's little sister. Look how big she is now. Do you remember when I dedicated her? <laughs> Just that little baby. Oh, my goodness. In Romans chapter 15, verse 15, it says, But I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become an acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I want you to note this. Paul did not claim that he was a priest. Paul said, I ministered as a priest. Remember, priests represent God to the people and the people to God. Remember the old covenant. The priests would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for all the sins from the past year. Only the high priest could do that. So Paul's not claiming to be a priest here. In fact, we have one priest, and that's Jesus Christ. Any religion that uh, calls their pastors priests 
are outside of the will of God and outside of doctrinal truth. Yeah, yeah, or a father. Which Jesus said, call no one father. <laughs> yeah. uh, for we have one father in heaven, our heavenly father, which is very interesting. So that one priest, Jesus, Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus. Do you know that Jesus became the high priest? From the order of Melchizedek, not from the Levites or the Aaronic priesthood, but from the Melchizedekian priesthood. Did I say that right? Did I make up that word? <laughs> Melchizedekian. Yes. So since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. But I tell you what, folks. How did Jesus become high priest? You see, the old covenant, covenant is a legal contract. It's a document. So Jesus had to legally become the high priest in order to offer himself on the altars of sacrifice. Today we're going to take a little tangent because I've never heard anyone teach on how Jesus literally, legally, according to the law, the old covenant, became the high priest. So get ready for a really fun tangent. <laughs> you want to know this, right? I know Mike does. He's an attorney. He goes, bring it on. Let's do this. <laughs> right? Yeah, Russ likes it too. All right. But there was already a high priest serving in the temple when Jesus offered himself. So I got to tell you, under the law, there's no way God would have accepted Jesus' sacrifice because there was already a legal high priest, Caiaphas, in the temple. So how did he do it? We're going to go over that right now on a little tangent. I love it. All right. Priests were not allowed to tear their clothes. I know it seems minuscule, like some weird little law, but they were not allowed to tear their clothes, and that is how Jesus took the priesthood. But we're going to go over some verses. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 6, it says, do not un speaking to the priests, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes. I want you to remember in the New Covenant, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, men, when you pray or prophesy publicly, you have to uncover your head. That was against tradition and culture. And women, if you pray or prophesy publicly, you have to cover your head, a real covering. Okay, so, but the priests could not uncover their heads. The New Covenant radically changed from the old, but go on. Do not uncover your heads. Do not tear your clothes so that you will not die and that he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. In Leviticus chapter 21, verse 10, it says, The priest who is the highest among his brothers, the high priest, on whose head the anointing oil has been poured and who has consecrated to wear the garments, the priestly garments. By the way, there were no seams in the high priest's garments. Who, on whom the anointing of oil was poured out and was consecrated to wear the garments, he shall not uncover his head nor tear his priestly garment. All right. 
So what did Caiaphas do? I got to tell you, if the high priest tore his garment, we already read he's going to be killed. He's no longer acting high priest. All right, so now we flip forward a little bit. And by the way, why do you think God wouldn't allow priests to tear their clothes? In the Old Covenant, people only tore their clothes when they were in mourning or something so bad happened that they couldn't change it. They couldn't do anything about it. But the priest stood in the presence of God. The priest understood who God was and represented God to the people so the priest could never be in mourning. He couldn't rip his garment. If he did, he was taken out of the office of high priest. In Exodus 28, 31, speaking of the garment he would wear, it says, You shall make a robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening at its top, and in the middle of it, around its opening, there shall be binding of woven work like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it will not be torn. It was a seamless robe. Guess what Jesus wore when he was being taken out to be crucified? A seamless robe. The same color, John 19, 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts apart for every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, just like the priest's garment. John 19, 5 says, Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, the high priestly robe. The purple and blue goes together. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. All right, so now let's get into the beauty of God's word. All 66 books of the Bible flow together as if one person wrote it. That's why God wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through 40 guys. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. It is a master tapestry of God's plan, his covenant relationships with us, and more than anything, his love that he has for all of us here even when we fail him and make mistakes. The high priest represented God to the people, and he could not tear his high priestly robe. If he did, he lost his position. It all points to Christ. Caiaphas was the high priest when Jesus was here on earth. He unwittingly did two things that established Jesus as the Messiah and the new high priest. The two things he did are this. Number one, Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus would die for the whole nation, more than that, the whole world. Here's exactly how he did that. In John chapter 11, verse 47 and forward. John chapter 11, verse 47, it says, therefore the chief priest and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our, pal our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for all the people and that the whole nation not perish. He spoke that of Christ. 
Verse 51. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So Caiaphas prophesied in his priestly position, and here we're told God made him say Christ would die for all. So that's the first thing Caiaphas did. The prophecy came true. The second thing he did is he gave up his priesthood. And he did that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes, and he said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. All right, so the minute Caiaphas tore his robes, remember we read in Leviticus, God kills him spiritually or sometimes physically. He gave up his priesthood. Do you know that when Jesus offered himself on the cross soon after this, he had become the high priest. He became the priest of the new covenant. Even the early church fathers who wrote way back had to say this about this. The drama of Caiaphas tearing his vestments signifies the termination of the old covenant priesthood. In contrast, the seamless vestment of our Lord Jesus is not torn but remains intact. John chapter 19 verses 23 and 24 signifying that the new priesthood of Christ will endure forever, the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. So it's very interesting that when Christ died, he was acting high priest. No one else had time to be appointed a high priest. But God is the one that essentially appoints the high priest, and he couldn't while Caiaphas was legally still the priest. But he gave that up when he ripped his garments. In Matthew 26, 64, Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus didn't just say that. He was quoting a prophecy in the book of Psalms. And the high priest knew this prophecy. In fact, it's in Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. And it says, a Psalm of David, The Lord said unto my Lord, speaking of Messiah, Set thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. When Caiaphas heard that answer, he knew that Jesus was quoting this messianic prophecy Jesus had already done signs and wonders and fulfilled every prophecy, but he didn't want to lose his position or his power. But he also knows what that psalm says a little bit later. It says, The Lord hath sworn in verse 4 of Psalm 110, and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Caiaphas knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Not only am I the Messiah, 
but I am now the rightful priest. Caiaphas ripped his clothes and gave up the priesthood completely, and Christ legally became the high priest. So when Jesus offered himself on the cross, he did so as the acting high priest. More than that, the high priest had to go where after he offered the sacrifice? Once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he would go into the Holy of Holies. So the, the temple had the outer court, the inner court, the holy place where the table of showbread, the candlestick, all of that was where all the priests could go in there. But only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies behind the veil and make atonement for the whole nation. And I can assure you the second Jesus died before he descended into hell, guess where he went? Into the Holy of Holies and made atonement for the whole world once and for all. How do we know he did this? And he did it legally. He became the priest. He offered himself. And immediately, note this, Matthew 27, verse 50, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Where does spirit go? Verse 51, and behold, the veil in the temple protecting the Holy of Holies from the holy place was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, and opened up the Holy of Holies, I believe, well, Christ had to complete, fulfill Old Testament law, the Old Covenant completely. He had to drip some of his blood on the cherubim, the mercy seat, in the Holy of Holies. That is why the veil ripped. And Christ made the way now for all of us who become the temple of the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Christ to enter the holy place, the very presence of God. Wow. I don't know about you, but I found that super amazing that Christ fulfilled the old covenant law completely. He became the rightful high priest and he offered atonement on the mercy seat within the Holy of Holies. And that's why that veil had to be ripped. Only the high priest could legally go there. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary, speaking of the temple. And there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which where the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, this is called the holy place. Verse 3, behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies. And that's the veil that was ripped. Hebrews 9, 6. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. And that is what Jesus had to do to fulfill all old covenant law. Hebrews 9.11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, 
And not through by the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Legally ushering in the new covenant, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of, of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not being designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes a place a change in the law as well. And that is how the new covenant was enacted legally fulfilling all the old covenant law hebrews chapter 5 verse 4 says and no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by god as aaron was so also christ did not glorify himself so as to become the high priest but he who said to him you are my son today i have begotten you just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, so God appointed Jesus the high priest. Verse 7 of Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he began to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you know any Jewish people, you can listen to this message later, but this is how you prove to rabbis that Jesus was the high priest, rightfully so, appointed by God just as Aaron was of the order of Melchizedek, and he made atonement for not only the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. Wow. I just love this stuff. All right, tangent time over. Back to our text. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. I love this. You know, God allows these writers of the New and Old Testament, he inspires them, but oftentimes he allows them to write from their own memory. That's why we have a few different accounts of like Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday morning, and a few different accounts of, of different things. He allowed them to write. But here, I mean, Paul is making this very personable to the church at Philippi. Philippians 2.25 but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Note this, that Epaphrodites got sick while he was there helping Paul in Rome. God didn't he heal him immediately. In fact, he fought this sickness for some time, but eventually God did heal him. We know Paul had a sickness, a thorn in the flesh, and he asked God three times to remove that sickness. And God said, my grace is sufficient. You need that to stay humble. <laughs> You know, God knows greater than us 
who needs to be healed and who needs to remain sick for a purpose. Before I pray for someone who's sick, I say, Lord, is it your intention to heal them? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, yeah. So I pray the prayer of faith and I've seen miraculous healings. Other times it's like, no, or not yet. They need to go through this because their spiritual health matters more than their physical strength. Amen? God disciplines those he loves, and oftentimes sickness is discipline. Philippians 2, verse 28. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he has come close to death for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. You know, speaking of priests, I find it fascinating that not only do we just have one high priest, and that's Jesus Christ, but as born-again believers, we all become priests. We don't operate in the office of priests, but we become priests and serve the Holy of Holies, which is our heart. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We become a priest over this temple and represent ourselves to God. We go directly to God. In fact, the Bible says we have one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So we can pray directly to God. And first, Peter, I'm going to go over these verses fast because we only have eight minutes. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're all being built together as a tabernacle or temple. We represent our own life to God himself through the uh, resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we become not only priests, but the Holy Spirit literally resides in us like it did in the Holy of Holies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16, it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are through Christ. My computer's slow today. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So from now on, you can add priest to your resume uh, or priestess. Uh, that's kind of cool, you know. Is anyone really going to do that? <laughs> My pastor told me I could say this. Uh, Revelation 1.6, and he made us to be a kingdom, note this, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. Revelation 5.10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection, the rapture. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. We become royal priests over our bodies now, this temple but note this, during the millennial reign, a whole different covenant is going to be uh, uh, going on. And we're going to reign with Christ over those that made it into the millennial reign of Christ. And guess what we will be? In this new covenant that's coming, we will be priests representing God to the people and those people to God. And we will rule with Christ for a thousand years. More than that, on the new earth, our eternal home, we live in the new Jerusalem. It's beautiful. And there's nations that live on the earth, and apparently we are still priests then because only born-again believers have access as priests to the Holy of Holies, God himself, the Shekinah glory of God. Just amazing stuff. I know it's a lot to think about. And we'll cover more of that later. But anyway, God bless you guys. Worship team, come on up. As they come up, what sacrifices can we give as priests? Well, we read our tithes and offerings. That's a sacrifice, sacrificial giving. We read offering the sacrifice of praise. Maybe I skipped it. Oh, don't break your guitar, Scott. Offering the sacrifice of praise. That's what Paul did in the prison at Philippi. Remember at midnight, he offered the sacrifice of praise and he was set free. And also, loving God sometimes is a sacrifice. Let me ask you, before we sing this last song, what have you given up to serve God? What have you given up to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? What sacrifice have you made? Let me ask you another question. What sacrifice have you made to love your family? You see, loving people, even when they're unlovable, is a sacrifice. But you know, it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Loving your enemy, I can assure you, is a sacrifice. And that's what Christ commanded us to do. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's hard to do. I pray this week we would begin to act as priests. That we would be, and priestesses, and we would begin to represent God to a lost and hurting world. The gospel of Christ. And that's how Paul said, I am serving the Gentiles as a priest. Not in the office of priest, only Jesus is. He's the last priest. But in the covenants to come, you, some of you guys are thinking, whoa, that's crazy stuff. I may, I may have to get into that next week so I can tell you about the covenants to come. It's in the Bible. We will operate as priests. We just read all the verses. Amazing. Wow. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you legally fulfilled the old covenant law. That you become our, became our great high priest. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that your word says in Hebrews, 
We don't have a priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. And your word says, therefore, we can confidently access the Holy of Holies, the throne of grace, to find help in time of need. So, Lord, I pray that you would just draw us to you, that your Holy Spirit, God, would anoint us as priests, royal priests, in your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.